Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Are you ready for global cryptocurrency money laundering regulations? CypherTrace secures the crypto economy with powerful AML tools for exchanges, crypto businesses, and regulators. WeTrust is a new fundraising platform that allows you to donate crypto to nonprofits. Go to wetrust.io slash unconfirmed to make your donation. My guest today is Jackson Palmer, the creator of Dogecoin and Are We Decentralized Yet? Welcome, Jackson. Hey, thanks for having me on. Let's start by talking about something I almost never discuss on either of my shows, crypto prices. This week, we saw Bitcoin and Ethereum at their 2018 lows. Yes, I I could not avoid it this week, or not avoid it, but just I couldn't ignore it this week. Why do you think this sell-off is happening now, and where do you think we'll go from here? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think that what happened in 2017 was there was a lot of hype, um, a lot of money funneled into the system. And really what's happened over the past kind of 12 months after that initial um, investment, um, it's really switched up to a situation where people just haven't delivered on their promises. A lot of projects haven't um, delivered, especially in the ICO front. Um, but then when you look at something like Ethereum, for instance, um, that was hailed as, you know, having all these dApps and getting all this adoption, um, it's really fallen short, I think, on expectations. And so I think people have had a little bit of a reality check on, you know, whether cryptocurrency is really ready um, and whether it deserved that valuation it had. And do you think that there's anything that happened recently that would make that happen kind of all of a sudden? Yeah, I, I think there's multiple forces at play. I think a lot of people like to put it down to one single thing, um, but that's never the case. There's always a lot of variables. Uh, I think that regulatory concerns and and uh, some of the, the enforcements we've seen happen come into play there. Uh, I also think that, you know, just on the technological side of things, like I was saying, I, I think that a lot of people had expected that things would be delivered. Like, uh, you'll remember that Ethereum was supposed to switch to proof of stake sometime this year. Uh, and that hasn't happened. Um, the, the Constantinople release of Ethereum got pushed out. Lightning still hasn't seen the adoption that they probably, you know, like to see. Um, it's still very much a beta. Um, and so I think a lot of people things thought were going to happen in 2018 just didn't really happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like I don't know why they happened all of a sudden. I mean, I guess around that time you had like the Bitcoin cash hard fork, although I think you're right. Maybe some of the regulatory actions uh, were pegged to around the time that we really saw the well, yeah, I think it's a combination of like, I, I think the way that it, it kind of happens is a domino effect. So I think 
there is all these other things bubbling up, like I was talking about with the the failed promises. But then it just takes something to remind the people that are sitting on a bunch of crypto, because um, you know there's a certain portion of the community who are checking the price every day. But I think there's also a large sum of people, especially on say, if you look at the hundreds of thousands of users Coinbase signed up over 2017, that probably aren't religiously checking the price every day. But when the news pops up, you know, something like, hey, these ICOs have been um, or this, you know, decentralized exchange has had an enforcement action against it that might kind of encourage more people to open up that Coinbase app or open up that exchange app and say, hmm, hmm, maybe I'll now reassess um, the space. So one piece of completely unrelated news, I think, can set off a little bit of a chain reaction. Yeah, I personally feel like if I had been one of those people that had bought near the top and and hopefully if i had put in money that i really didn't need then like at this time given how much i would lose from selling it i i personally would not because i'd be like okay i'm going to lock in my losses if i sell now but anyway nothing i say is investment advice <laughs> so one other thing i wanted to ask about was that you made that website are we decentralized yet and it's a great site for people who haven't checked it out. Um, but I think the reason, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that you did so was to point mm-hmm. out the various ways in which many of these top crypto assets are actually centralized. For instance, there are some of these coins where like one or two entities control more than 50% of the mining. There's a few mm-hmm. where there's like a shocking wealth concentration. Like, for instance, Ripple and Stellar, I noticed the top 100 addresses for those coins own 81% and 95% of the of the supply, respectively. Even for the coin you created, yeah. Dogecoin, the top 100 addresses own more than 50% of the coins. So I know you mm-hmm. started that earlier this year. Do you feel like you've seen any progress since you launched? Yeah, it's been tricky. Um, it's been a tricky website to maintain because just getting the availability of the data has been really hard. The whole website came about because uh, I was doing a video for my YouTube channel that was called How Decentralized are the Top 10 Cryptocurrencies? Because I really wanted to get at that question, right? We hear the word decentralized thrown around a lot. And when I started looking for the data, I, I very quickly realized that it's hard to find. And so over the last, you know, nearly 12 months since I created it, you know, what we've found happen is that a lot of the sources that we were using uh, for that information, um, many of which were just side projects created by some, you know, enthusiast, started going offline. You know, people aren't maintaining these data sources. And so the website, sadly, now probably contains less data than it did when it was first launched, um, purely because there's no easy way of measuring a lot of these things anymore. And I don't think, if, I don't think that's really like, you know, intentional. I think it's just that a lot of these crypto projects don't seem to be putting a lot of value, a lot of time and effort into, uh, you know, making these numbers publicly available because I think in some cases it might um, negatively reflect on them. You know, a great example is, you know, you spoke about the Bitcoin Cash fork. Um, a great example is Bitcoin uh, SV or Satoshi Vision. Um, a hundred, you know, one entity in that um, space controls way more than 50% of the mining power. So it's completely centralized. It's not censorship resistant at all. Um, and so, yeah, it's very interesting how the landscape has changed, but a lot of people don't seem to talk about this stuff anymore or want to make the data publicly available. So this is kind of maybe like a slightly counterintuitive thought, but I could see a more centralized company would be 
more on top of maintaining the data or, or whatever feeds it is that you're accessing in order to present the data. Whereas with a decentralized network, you know, it sort of just depends on whoever's working on it, whether or not they feel compelled to do it. So do you see what I'm saying? Like, I wonder if part of the reason that you're not getting good data is because you don't have that, like, you know, traditional top-down hierarchical structure that's making sure it happens. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the nature of, of open source. It's the nature of decentralized projects. I think I'd believe that um, if it weren't for the kind of multi-million dollar funded foundations that every one of these cryptocurrencies seems to have. Dogecoin doesn't want to have one to my knowledge, but... Um, you know, if you look at, you know, uh, Ethereum and, you know, even, even things that were kind of, uh, spawned from, uh, the original roots of Ethereum, like consensus, there, there is a lot of money that is being poured into, uh, organizations who you would think would want that information to be pretty public, right? It, you would think that transparency would be in their best interest. Just go looking at, 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 you know, entities that are, you know, more centralized and do have more of a corporate for-profit kind of model, you know, Ripple comes to mind. Um, and the interesting thing with Ripple is they probably were out of all of the projects, um, one of the more kind of in my face or kind of coming at me trying to get numbers updated and provide the information, um, which initially I was, you know, somewhat um, receptive of. And I was like, yeah, great. Like, you know, more, more data is great. But I think the problem then becomes that, you know, people want these numbers to tell a certain narrative. Um, and so are the numbers that they're trying to provide or get you to list on a website like that actually an accurate representation of that number? And that, that's one of the challenges we ran into with, with Ripple. Yeah, well, I think they're probably a little bit defensive on this issue since there is kind of uncertainty about whether or not they are really truly decentralized because that of course, hinges on whether or not mm -hmm. they will be considered a security. Um, we're actually going to keep talking about Ripple in a moment, but first, a quick word from our fabulous sponsors. <laughs> WeTrust helps you make the world a better place. WeTrust is a new fundraising platform that allows you to donate your crypto to nonprofits that are changing the world. Use your ETH to support causes from AI for good to curing lupus. Go to wetrust.io slash unconfirmed to make your donation. To use your crypto to make a difference, go to wetrust.io slash unconfirmed and donate today. Ready or not, the Financial Action Task Force anti-money laundering recommendations soon go into effect globally. If you handle cryptocurrencies, no matter where you do business, these new AML laws will apply to you. CypherTrace helps exchanges, ICOs, funds, brokerages, and regulators understand and manage crypto asset and compliance risks. Learn how to reduce your exposure and prepare now for tough new regulations. CypherTrace is securing the crypto economy. Learn more at CypherTrace.com slash unconfirmed. I'm speaking with Jackson Palmer, creator of Dogecoin, and are we decentralized yet? Yeah, so continuing the conversation about Ripple, they um, or that coin crossed over Ethereum and market cap about two weeks ago, and it's kept that position mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? And and do you think that makes sense? Yeah, I, I think, well, to me, not a lot of things in cryptocurrency make sense <laughs> in, in the traditional sense of the word. Um, but uh, I, I think that I was kind of shocked um, to see that in market cap, which isn't always the best measure, uh, but to see that Ripple had, had overtaken Ethereum. I think Ripple have a very, very... Um, 
kind of concentrated and focused uh, marketing department. And I think they've done, you know, for better or worse, a, a pretty good job on um, building awareness and, and hype and excitement about their community. Um, you know, I'm, I'm personally not, a, not the biggest fan of, of Ripple, but I know for a fact, you know, I know several people in the real world um, that are just Ripple fanatics and, they're the, you know, they'll whenever I see them, they'll say, oh, yeah, Ripple, you know, launching this new feature or yeah, they're doing this new, you see the new announcement that came out. And so I, I guess that, you know, given just the, they ha- they seem to have a pretty big company um, and budget, they're able to focus and, and concentrate their, their, their marketing dollars on, um, on keeping the narrative going. Whereas Ethereum, I think, has suffered the opposite fate. You know, there's there's a lot of money in Ethereum. Absolutely, there still is, but it's fragmented across, you know, hundreds and hundreds of projects who don't always seem to be selling the same story or um, in alignment. There's a lot of, also a lot of duplication in, in, in Ethereum projects, right? I, how many decentralized exchanges are there? And so I think that, <laughs> I think that serves to, to somewhat, uh, confuse the narrative, right? Whereas Ripple have this very much like, you know, concentrated focus narrative that's purely about Ripple and XRP. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting the way that you're describing it, because this goes back to the, you know, centralized versus decentralized, whether or not it's a security versus not a security, Mm -hmm. you know, pretty much the fact that it is more centralized enables all that stuff that you just mentioned. Um, But then, of course, that runs the danger of, therefore, it possibly being more of a security rather than Ether, which actually the SEC kind of came out and said mm-hmm. really isn't so, or at least isn't at this point. Yeah. And one other thing I've always thought about Ripple and Stellar in particular is there are 100 billion units, uh, which, <laughs> uh, you know, but hmm. each coin is worth, you know, like cents or whatever. And so I think that that helps boost those coins artificially because people think they're quote unquote cheap. Mm-hmm. Like earlier when you said, you know, people in the real world that are Ripple fans, did you mean they're non-crypto people? Like they're, they're otherwise not. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 The, 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 I, I don't know a single person that's into Ripple, um, that is into other cryptocurrencies. Um, most of the people that I know, um, or meet, uh, that are, that are into Ripple, um, are typically first time, um, and, and you're just getting into crypto and they've been pulled into and seem to be kind of ripple fans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's what I meant earlier about, I feel like they don't understand this thing about the hundred billion units versus, you know, like 21 million or whatever it might be. Well, I think, I think they're just more susceptible to, to marketing. You know, I think the, the ripple, the people that get into ripple remind me of the people that have been getting into this initiative Q thing, which I'm sure you've seen. <laughs> um, and I, I think it, it's, it's a similar type of, um, mindset in the way that it's been marketed to them. Actually, I think the initiative Q and the ripple marketing is actually pretty similar if you if you actually go and look at what they claim to be doing in the future technology wise. So um, I actually have so, not yeah. learned very much about initiative Q. I just have to tell a really funny anecdote about that, though, which is that one of my quote unquote real world friends, one of my muggle friends <laughs> texted me about it and she sent me the link to her initiative Q thing. And she even had like a little paragraph on, I I can't remember anyway, it must have been, you know, whatever she copied and pasted from whenever she Mm -hmm. signed up. But like, this is a person, I never talk with her about crypto. So I was like, oh my God, 
my friend's account was hacked. And <laughs> now she like sent me this thing. And so then I did not respond via text message and I sent her an email. But then she didn't respond to the email. And I was like, oh, she's probably not checking her email as quickly as text. So then I was like, all right, I'm going to track her down on a different platform. So I sent her a Facebook message. Wow. And then she she was like, so I can't remember how the conversation went, but I just whatever she was saying, I was not convinced that it was not the hacker. And yeah, yeah, that yeah. it was, yeah, I just, I couldn't figure it out. Because like, for instance, it was like a Monday afternoon or something. And I said something like, how's your week going? Because I just wanted to see if she would like yeah, reveal something at her. Yeah. yeah. And she she wrote, so far, so good. And so finally, I just picked up the phone and I called her and she answered. And she's like, what is wrong with you? Like, oh, my God. I thought I was talking to a hacker and I yeah. didn't realize it was you. And she and I told her this stuff about like, so far, so good. And she was like, Laura, it's like Monday at noon. What can I say? Like, I just saw you like a, a couple days ago. Wow. So, it was really it was super funny. Um. But anyway, uh, yes, you're right. I feel like the people that are interested in Initiative Q, they're people that don't know anything about this. But so uh, just out of curiosity, what is that about? And like, why do you think it has this appeal? Yeah, well, I think Initiative Q specifically is a very classic kind of multi-level marketing pyramid scheme kind of thing. They haven't asked for money yet, but the, the currency they're trading is, is, you know, referrals, right? They're building up an extremely, uh, strong mailing list. They can probably one day fleece. Um, but they tell a similar narrative. You know, I think they piggyback on a lot of the things that say, um, Bitcoin, um, you know, you know, has gone out with, you know, over the last 10 years as its value proposition re, you know, re, uh, thinking, you know, global money and, you know, making payments free and fast and all of these great, um, benefits. Um, but then it says, but we're different to Bitcoin. We're different. We're, we're better. Um, you know, cause we are ex PayPal, you know, there's one guy on the team that's from PayPal. He like sold his company to PayPal more than 10 years ago. I wouldn't really call <laughs> them ex PayPal guys, which is the marketing copy that people seem to be copy pasting everywhere. And so I, I, but I think it's those, I think it's those sound bites. And I think that, um, they're, they're, they're fed to people so they can copy paste them really easily. Right. Um, and I think, I think Ripple as a company have been able to do a similar thing. Um, if you look at some of the people that are on the community team for Ripple, for instance, if you look at the Twitter presence, it's absolutely off the charts in terms of, you know, how much they're manipulating Twitter as a, as a medium for promoting Ripple. You know, whether that's them or whether, you know, they'll claim that they don't own the bot networks, but sure. It's just, it's very interesting to watch. And I feel like Ripple is, is kind of like, just like ref initiative Q without referral codes in a way. Yeah. It's so funny. This thing about the bot thing with Ripple, every single, or not, every, I mean, so many people have mentioned this to me, mm. but there's, I feel like there's no way to prove it. And I was talking with, well, actually I'm not going to name who this was, but it was somebody mm -hmm. who's kind of a superstar in the space. And he was just like, you can just tell by looking at the accounts what they're saying. And like, if you look at their feeds and I was like, really? Like, maybe it's just a person that's really into it. And maybe there's a lot of them like that. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> it, well, it's the same thing with any, you know, there's, there's, there's somebody called Jeff Goldberg who's done a lot of research into this and he's quite active on Twitter documenting it. Um, you can do a lot of analysis by looking at um, correlations between followers and stuff to kind of map out a bot network. 
But like we've seen with with other social network, you know, campaigns, um, you know, especially around elections and things like that, a lot of the time, many of the accounts involved are real. They're just real people sitting at home. But they're being spurred on by by kind of uh, an actor or a, a, an entity that is that is using them as kind of this socially engineered network of 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 shills. It's 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 very interesting dynamic. But when you say that, do you mean like they're paying them to do that? Because if they are a real person, how are they? Con- no, they're not paying them. Entity- they're not. No, they're not paying them. I think it's 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 what we were talking about before about it being that copy paste mentality, right? It's oh. it's a lot easier to um to go out and uh kind of try and inflate the value of something you've invested in if they're giving you a sales pitch that you can either retweet or copy paste somewhere. Like it's the same as Initiative. Q- Right. They give you that text that your friend posted on their Facebook um, that, you know, this is going to re- re- revolutionize payments. Like they give you the talking points in a really easy to share um, medium. Right. And I think we live in a society these days. It's the society of people reposting things on Twitter, on Instagram, on Snapchat. It's a lot easier for them to do that. Versus if they were to get into something else like an actual cryptocurrency, they'd have to go and research the thing and potentially, you know, go out there and uh, come up with, you know, their own thoughts. Um, And so, you know, whether the things are actually real botnets, um, I don't think so. I think they're actually just talking point bots, which give these these accounts they're associated with, these average people sitting at home that want to get rich quick, a really easy thing they can copy paste and spam everywhere versus having mm. to do actual research. This is so interesting. Yeah, I don't it know how this all works. Yeah. But the last thing actually that I want to chat with you about before we go, because this was also an interesting discussion I had with someone the other day was... So it started with, we were talking about Bitcoin Cash mm. and he <laughs> was talking about how Bitcoin SV, as you mentioned, had, you know, one miner with more than 50% of the network and how mm. he felt like this show that proof of coin, pr- sorry, proof, proof of coin, <laughs> <laughs> proof of work wouldn't work. And um, how he thought what might prove to be more secure is proof of stake with a fair distribution of coins rather than mm. like, you know, kind of this uneven distribution that we see. And I said, okay, well, are there any coins where there's a fair distribution? And, uh, you know, I I really don't think that's the case. You know, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, look at your, are we decentralized yet chart and look at that Mm -hmm. distribution on the coins. It's, it's pretty scary. So then I asked him, well, how do you think we could get fair distribution? And what was interesting was I kind of could see a little bit that he was starting to get slightly defensive uh, because he's somebody who was mining Bitcoin early. And so, you know, most likely like it made him hugely wealthy. Right. Yeah. I I mean, I think he was already wealthy before, um, but even more so. Right. So I could. So it was a little bit interesting because like he immediately said that and I said oh but you know like what coin has fair distribution how do you get it and then he like kind of was backtracking a little bit on the fair distribution thing (laughs) so I just wanted to get your opinion on that part of the decentralization because I it's just something that interests me I feel like in crypto everybody's always talking about democratized you know access to finance but like as we've seen so far it's like pretty unequal distribution so how do you think we get to that ideal and like what really is ideal? Because I don't think like actually literally fair or equal distribution is what people want. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, 
I, I, so proof of stake obviously relies so heavily on there being a good distribution of the tokens because there's no real world commodity, right? Um, being kind of burnt, which there is with electricity in proof of work, um, on the line. And so I think that distribution becomes obviously the most important thing. I think the challenge there is with all of these things, nobody's proven that there's a fair distribution model. And I would say that proof of works distribution model wasn't fair either. Um, you know, there's, People like to go out and say, oh, you know, anybody could have mined, right? Anybody could have gotten in and mined some coins. Um, and I think, I think maybe like really early on that might be true, but I think that Bitcoin and its distribution has always, you know, disproportionately benefited the, the privileged, right? Um, these days it's, you know, obviously only the rich can mine because they have to get ASICs and they have to negotiate extremely large deals to get cheap electricity. They have to go and buy, you know, hydroelectric dams basically. But even back in the early days of Bitcoin, when a, a person could mine on, say, you know, a decent GPU um, or, you know, a pretty good CPU, outside of the fact that obviously you had to be, you know, have at least the money to afford a, a gaming rig or something, right? Um, which automatically excludes a lot of the underprivileged or, um, you know, people like that. Um, there's also just the, the notion of awareness, right? I think that many of the people that were aware of Bitcoin early on um, weren't necessarily the average people. They were tech enthusiasts. They were people that were already relatively privileged um, um, in being savvy enough, right, to understand how to run Bitcoin um, and, and, and do it because it's, was, it, Bitcoin was even less user intuitive back in the day. <laughs> and so this is why I've always been kind of skeptical of this whole, oh, Bitcoin is banking the unbanked kind of notion because I really challenge the, the notion that um, anybody, you know, has that's mined Bitcoin at least has been unbanked to begin with because uh, it just doesn't make sense. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, distribution's hard. I, I think I've had many long conversations with people about it. I think it's a challenge. I think it's one of the reasons that Ethereum are continuing to put off um, moving to proof of stake one, they have to figure out the whole Casper situation. But in addition to that, there is so much money tied up in these ICO treasuries um, that is potentially volatile. And, um, you know, there's also the notion of hacks um, and things like that. So it's it's interesting. I like to, when I think about proof of stake, I always freak out a little bit about, you know, exchanges, right? I think um, this is one of the metrics I always wanted to put on Are We Decentralized Yet is a percentage of money supply held on centralized exchanges because um, hmm. I think it's actually really high. And uh, if you... Wait, if percent you, of mining supply held on? No, 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 the, percent, the percent of money, right? So oh, money. Out, of, out of the no, entire okay. money supply, what is uh, what percentage of that is held in known wallet addresses of exchanges like Binance, et cetera? Um, uh. I think that'd be really interesting because we saw something similar to this with EOS um, uh, when they, they had to activate the EOS mainnet um, oh, to kind of right. get it over the line. Um, some of the exchanges staked their own users' coins, right? Wow. So I think it was Bitfinex um, actually might have staked uh, user tokens in order to, you know, vote on the, on the network, right? Um, mm. and so if we're in a situation in proof of stake, um, and, you know, say 50% of all Ethereum 
um, is stored on Binance in a wallet that they control, that's a potential wow. problem. You see what I'm getting at? Um, because yeah, these things really are held in centralized hot wallets and cold wallets. Yeah. Huh. I'll try to ask Vitalik or somebody else at Ethereum if they've thought about that and looked into it. Because I think well, that's yeah, super, decentralized super exchanges, right? It's the it's the new hotness, <laughs> or it was twelve months ago. Well, <laughs> it was until Ether Delta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, anyway, so it's been great having you on the show. Thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. Yeah, it was absolutely awesome talking to you. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast episode. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you like this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Raylene Galapali, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.